Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. I want to invite you to take your Bible and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's where we're going to be today. And my senior year of college, I, uh, I took speech, speech class. And the professor told me that almost every good speech starts with a story that captures the ear better, the heart of your listener. But for some reason, I don't think we're going to have to do that today. And the reason is because today we're talking about sex. See, now I've captured your ear, right? You're ready to, to lean in. You're wondering, what in the world does this Baptist preacher have to say on this topic? But here's the reality. And listen, if you're a first-time guest with us today, <laughs> you're thinking, what has my friend got me into, right? But listen, the conviction that we have here at First West is that the Bible is the, is, is, is the center of who we are. It's the revelation of God, reveals his plan of salvation of humanity through the sending of Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, the call for people to repent of their sin and to turn towards him in faith and to live for his name. And if that is true, then we believe that as a church, we need to start with what does the Bible say, not with what do we want to hear. And if we start with what does the Bible say, I believe it calls us to methodically work our way through the scripture so that we can know the scripture and the scripture can impact us. And so if that is true and we're walking through this book, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians and uh, we took a break over uh, really the first part of the summer and it's brought us to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I gave us kind of a teaser last week, an intro back into the book of, of what is going on. But today we begin 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in this series, Real Life Relationships. And today we're going to see what Paul has to say, I believe, about a biblical ethic of sex. If you remember last week we began and I just read to you verse 1 where we see this shift from what Paul is writing about. In the first six verses he's writing about what he had heard from Chloe's people but now in chapter 6 he says regarding those things you wrote to me about. And, and, and some people believe that Paul here is answering questions that the church in Corinth had. But one scholar believe, and I, I think this is really good, that Paul is no, not so much answering questions, but he is questioning the answers that the church in Corinth had. We've seen in this book that these people were full of pride and believed that they had it all figured out. And so Paul is hearing what they think they have figured out about all these areas of life and church and ministry. And Paul is, is pushing them as an apostle to say, you may not have this right. So whether he's questioning answers or answering questions, today we're going to see what he has to say, I believe, about coming off the hills of chapter 6, of how as the church, as God's people, how do we glorify God with our bodies? If you remember in chapter 6, the back part of chapter 6, he's dealing with the issue of sexual immorality of how those that are walking in sexual immorality, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and he's pushing them in, in this, the call for them to walk in purity. And then if you remember the end of chapter six, he says, but you were bought with a price. 
right? You're not your own, therefore glorify God with your body. And so in chapter 7, he's going to begin to lay out for us what it looks like for God's people to glorify God with our bodies. So today we're going to begin to work through chapter 7 and verse 1 through 7. I'm going to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word. The word of the Lord says, Now in response to the matters you wrote about, It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come again together, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift, another has that. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father, as we stand in this moment... And Father, we know we are about to dive into a sensitive subject, but God, we see here clearly it is a biblical subject. And although our culture has taken this issue and has created something I believe that is chaotic, damaging, full of hurt and heartbreak, I believe, God, what we're going to see today is that in your design and in your desire, it is something of beauty. It is a gift. And so, God, would you use the teaching and preaching of your word today to grow us more into your likeness. I pray, God, that in this specific area, that as we listen today, that our hearts would be captivated by what you have for us and a desire to honor you with the way that we live. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Today, as we dive into this passage of Verse 1 through 7, you know, every week I, I try to give you a main idea of the sermon, what it is that I believe this passage means for us today. And today it's this, is that healthy Christian marriages honor God with healthy, consistent sex lives. That's a phrase you probably didn't think you'd hear in church this year, right? But I believe that is what this text reveals to us, that, that healthy Christian marriages, and hear me, every single, one of this word, uh, every single one of these words is important. Healthy Christian marriages honor God with healthy, consistent sex lives. Let's work through this text and let's see how I believe that to be true from what God's word says. I want us to start in verse 1. Because it's important for us, because for some of you, as I was reading that text, you were thinking, that's not what it says in my Bible, and you would be right. In verse 1, listen to what it says again. It says, uh, in response to the matters I wrote you about, it is not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, for some of you in here, you have the NIV, the New International Version of the Bible, and yours says it is not good for a man to marry a woman. That's very different, isn't it? Some translations say, in fact, I have a difference even from what is in my CSB Bible in 2017 with the CSB update in 2020. In 2017, the CSB said, it is not good for a man to use a woman for sex. 
the 2020 update, which you saw on the screen, said it is not good for men to have sexual relations with a woman. As you can tell, the interpreters of Scripture that are translating the Greek into English, there's some debate on what exactly Paul is trying to say here. Right? We remember the Bible is not originally written in English, it was written in Greek, and sometimes it is challenging to know the context and to know exactly how Paul is trying to use a specific word. Right? I can say this, that if your version says it's not good for a man to be married to a woman, that's not a good answer. It's not. And the reason is, and not that I'm trying to put myself above these trained scholars that translated this, but the word literally in verse 1 is to touch. It is not good for a man to touch a woman. And so what we find is this discrepancy of how people understand not just this sentence, but Paul's motivation for what he's going to write here, right? So some possible translations, again, it it is maybe possible that he's talking about marriage here, but I don't think that he is. I think he's talking specifically about physical intimacy. Some believe that in verse 1, Paul is talking here about his personal view. Paul believes that it is not good for a man to have sexual relations with his wife. Now, this is not a moral good, like good versus evil, but one of preference or desire. That Paul's saying, I think it's best for that to not be the case. Now, some people believe that and hold to that, and there is respect for those that do. I think that it falls into the later camp where, where the idea here, and in fact, in some of your Bibles, you can look in your Bible, for some of you, you have this statement in quotations. My translation does. Because the belief is not that Paul is giving his personal view, but that he is referencing what the church in Corinth believes and what they have written to him. Paul's referring to the fact that the church in Corinth believes that it is not good for a man to have sexual relations with his woman. Part of the reasons they believe that is you have these factions in the church, some believing uh, that they are uh, aesthetics. They believe that anything of the body is evil and there should be nothing to do with it. They see the sexual immorality that's happening in their culture, which was extremely high in Corinth. And they're saying, listen, that's just not good. We, we need to write off all sexual relations. All of that is a moral evil, and it doesn't need to happen. Some believe that what Paul is doing in the reference here to what is being said in Corinth is this idea of sex as just for procreation or sex for procreation and recreation, right? And so some believe that the idea here is that it's not good for a man to use a woman for sex, that sex was only to be used for procreation, and anything outside of that went against God's desire. So, there's a lot of options to what verse 1 could reference. Here's what you need to know, though. What we're going to see here is that Paul's response to regardless of the motivation here is going to be for us a biblical ethic of sex, right? We're going to see his answer regardless of what the motivation was. Now, I want to give you two observations here before we really, really dig in. The first one is this, is that the main imperative, that means command, verb, call for action, that Paul's going to give in these verses, we find down in verse uh, 5. In verse 5. This is is the main thing that Paul is going to say in verse 5. He says, do not deprive one another. That's the the main point that Paul is trying to say to these people in regards to sex is do not deprive one another. That word deprive, it means to rob or to renege on an agreement, right? So that's the main point that he's going to stress. And and we're going to see some things that kind of fall around that, that support that idea. The second thing that I want you to point, this is very, very important. Track with me here. 
you understand that in the culture to which Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians is very different than our culture today. Very different. Paul is writing to a, to a culture that is highly patriarchal. That means that, that the man is in charge, the man leads, the man says whatever the man says, the man does whatever goes. Like it, it is all centered on the man, and the woman has very, very, very little influence and even a very little voice. And what we find here is Paul is going to give us this biblical ethic of sex is a high value on mutuality. Mutuality. Say that word with me. Mutuality. It is significant. It is significant that in the context of the culture, what Paul is writing, that he is going to stress this in a way that if you were not a believer in Corinth, you would read this and you would laugh. You would laugh at what Paul was saying about the nature of sex in God's design. So if you look with me in, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 7, you're going to see over and over again that Paul is going to give commands to the husband, but also to the wife. In fact, in chapter 7, there's eight different times, and in other places, he's going to imply this call, not just instruction or rights to the husband, but also instruction and wives, I'm sorry, instruction and commands to the wife. Now hear me, we, we believe in the full counsel of scripture that God has designed the man to be the spiritual leader of the home and the leader in the church, the spiritual leader in the church. We, we, were, we, we were unashamed in that. We believe that's what scripture teaches. But what you find here is that in that home relationship, although the man is to be the spiritual leader in the home, it doesn't mean the man has all the rights and the wife has none. He's going to pull that out in this area of physical intimacy in the marriage that there is this beautiful mutuality that exists between the two, husband and wife. So let's see this biblical ethic of sex, this call for Paul in the marriage relationship not to deprive one another of it. And let's see how this mutuality comes into play. The first thing I want us to see here in verse 2 and verse 3 is, hear me, mutuality in commitment. Mutuality in commitment. In this area of sex, for the believer, there's a call for mutuality in commitment. Let's read again verse 2 and 3. He says, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. So we see this contrast that he's going to begin here in verse 2. Because of sexual immorality, and then he's going to call them in this mutuality of commitment. Now some people would say Paul has a low view of marriage here. Right? He's just saying we should get married. And the, the motivation for marriage is simply so that we avoid sexual immorality. Well, understand, he's not trying to give us an exhaustive understanding of marriage here. He's just speaking to this specific instance. And he's saying, hey, because of sexual immorality, in fact, the word there is plural. He's saying of all the sexual immorality that's out there. And all these things where God, where, where, I'm sorry, where the world has taken God's design and they have perverted it. And all of these things. He's saying, I want you to honor God, and it's going to honor God in a mutually committed relationship. It's understanding that in the Bible, there's only two types of sex. There is sex within marriage, and there is sexual immorality. And I love, as 
Wright says in Dictionary of Paul in his letters, listen to this. He says, by divine appointment, marriage and sexuality go together, as do singleness and abstinence from sex. And what God has joined together, humans should not separate. So we see for Paul, his understanding of the, the gift of sex that God has given us, that it is to happen in the confines of a mutually committed relationship. And notice what he says here of husband and wife. That's important. The mutual commitment here is not two people that simply love one another. The mutual commitment here is not simply two people in a monogamous relationship. The commitment here is not two people who simply share the same home address. The commitment here is not even two people that would say, well, that purity thing, I know that's like before I got married, but man, I'm an adult now, or I'm previously married, and so, I mean, that was then, but, but like, I'm an adult now. No, clearly, there is mutuality in the commitment of a husband and a wife. Why is that so important? Because God designed sex, and he understands the significance of the intimacy that comes with it. In fact, Paul in chapter 6, verse 16, has referenced again Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the idea that in that intimacy, that a husband and wife, they become one flesh. That's the best way to describe the intimacy that comes in the sexual relationship is the idea of coming together in one flesh. It's why in those days, you would go to a wedding and after the ceremony would take place, a couple would leave and everyone else would go to the reception. You know, nowadays you're at the reception waiting for them to finish up their family photos, right? You'd go to the reception and that couple would go and they would consummate their marriage. Students, if you don't know what that is, ask your parents. You probably don't want to ask your parents. All right. Uh, <laughs> but they would go and they would sleep together for the very first time because they understood that yes, their vows before God and before their family were important, committing their lives together, but it was the intimacy, it was the one flesh intimacy that came that was, that was so significant to the marriage relationship. In fact, if you look in Genesis chapter 24, Genesis chapter 24, you have Abraham turns to his servant. He's looking for a wife for his son Isaac. He tells the servant, I want you to go to this well and I want you to sit down with your camels. And when a woman comes and she takes the jar off her shoulder and offers not just to give you a drink, but to give a drink to your camels as well, that's how you'll know that she is the one for Isaac. Can you imagine that story? How'd you meet your wife? Online dating? Nope. She gave the camel some water and I knew she was the one, right? <laughs> but this relationship begins between Rebekah and Isaac. And listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 24, verse 67. It says, And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah and took Rebekah as his wife. And Isaac loved her and was comforted after his mother's death. So it says that they went into his mother's tent and there... She became his wife. There, that relationship became one flesh. I can promise you this. There was no wedding ceremony in that tent. And as Mark Finn said this week, I'm pretty sure she didn't go in there to get Isaac's mom's cornbread recipe. Right? <laughs> Thank you, Mark. 
Right? The, the biblical author here doesn't have to spell out for us what happened. We understand what happened. It was in mutuality of that commitment and the gift of physical intimacy. There was that one flesh bond. And so we understand that the biblical ethic of, of sex is one that happens with this, this commitment of a husband and a wife committing their lives to one another till death. It says there in verse 3 that they are to fulfill their marital duty. This is contractual language to fulfill. That's the idea of a contract, your, your duty. That is, and I want you to catch this, that in that covenant commitment that you make, this is not a contract of what I get. It's a contract of what I'm going to give. There's a big difference there. The understanding that this gift of sex given into the husband and wife relationship, there is this commitment to cherish and to love in sickness and in health, but also a commitment to give myself physically to my spouse and for my spouse to give themselves physically to me. But Paul doesn't just tell us where, where sex should take place is in the confines of this committed relationship. He's going to show us how it should take place. Look at me in verse 4. He says, a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. And in the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Now, if we were to take that verse and we were to pull the front part out or the back part out, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. And we have some very unhealthy marriages that have unhealthy sex lives because there are couples who don't understand the mutuality that we see here. So we have a mutuality of commitment, but I would also say we have a mutuality of submission. Mutuality in submission. What is Paul saying here about the nature of the physical intimacy in a husband and wife relationship, what does it tell us? Is that the nature of the relationship is one that is marked by selflessness. And it is not self-serving. Right, Paul, in, as we'll continue to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's going to give us a beautiful picture of love. And if you remember what he says about love, love does not insist on its own way. Chapter 10, verse 33, he's going to tell us that love does not seek its own advantage. We're going to see in, 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 in chapter 7, later in chapter 7, chapter 10, that love always seeks to please others. And so the idea here that the husband doesn't have right over his own body, his wife has right over his own body, and the wife doesn't have right over her own body, but her husband has right. It's the picture of submission in such a way to say that, listen, my desires start with where her desires start. And her desires start with where her husband's desires start. There's this beautiful selflessness and submission to one another in such a way that it's as if we have the right over each other's body. It's a picture that we hear over and over again in the Song of Solomon. That it says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's pointing so much more than just a, 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 a civil agreement of belonging to one another. It is a submission to the level of saying, listen, we belong to one another in such submission and such concern for the other's desires of our own that it's as if we own one another. I love David Garland. He says this. He says, one can extrapolate from Paul 
from this that Paul believes that love should govern the marriage relationship and that spouses should not treat one another as objects for sexual self-gratification. In marriage, one gives up complete self-determination and must seek to please the partner. The sexual relationship in particular requires mutual sensitivity, loyalty, care, and tenderness. What does that mean? It means that sex isn't a bargaining chip. Sex isn't a form of punishment for your spouse. It means that sex is not to be demanded. Did you hear that? Sex is not to be demanded. It means this week you can't say, hey, Pastor Michael, he said, don't you put your, my name in your mouth, all right? <laughs> no, it's a picture here of submission and care and tenderness and intimacy. Listen, for some of you men in the room, and maybe women too, and I would even say to the younger generation that's in here, you, you have been, let me say some of you, have, maybe many of you have been discipled by Hollywood and even by other things that you have seen that have given you a perverted understanding of sex. And if you try to take that into your marriage, chaos is coming. Because whether it's the husband for the wife or wife for the husband, that if you're understanding that your spouse is there simply to meet your physical needs and is there to do your bidding of whatever you want to simply fulfill yourself, you've got it all wrong. That's not the picture that we see here. We see this mutual sensitivity and caring and selflessness, this submission and caring for one another. Danny Aiken says this to kind of, just call it for what it is in this verse. He says, whatever is safe and pleasing and enjoyable and satisfying to both is acceptable. The body of each belongs to the other. Neither should demand from the other what is painful, harmful, degrading, or dist distasteful to him or her. We see this mutuality of submission. And so Proverbs 5.15 tells us, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well, he's saying this intimacy is to happen within the confines of that married covenant commitment of husband and wife. But then he goes on in verse 18 to say this, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. So mutuality and submission. The last thing is this, mutuality and service. Mutuality and service. We see here from verse 5, again, the main imperative, do not deprive one another. Don't deprive one another. Except, and he's going to give three qualifiers here. Except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again, otherwise Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, oftentimes what we find in our lives is the ability to pervert what God has given as good. We understand that God has created humanity as sexual beings. He has. But he has also given us his design and his desire for what that outlet is to look like that is for his glory and ultimately is for our good. But Paul understands the temptation that we feel, the immorality that's out there of how we do have an adversary who loves to steal, kill, and destroy. And today in our culture, especially for our young people, I believe that it is strategy 1A. 
That he will take sexuality, something that is beautiful, created by God in the confines of God's design for it, and will pervert it in such a way that it takes us to a place that we never thought we would be in our lives. We just feel are identified by shame and guilt and regret. And Paul understands that. And so he says, listen, in the marriage relationship, in the place where God has given us a gift, don't deprive one another of it. And the concession he gives there, he says, except for maybe a time, a short time, and it's done with a spiritual nature as its motive, to devote yourselves to prayer. And then finally, the third one is that you do come together again. And so the idea there that in the relationship that God has given us sexually in the marriage relationship is the mutuality of service. That we are serving one another so that the temptation that we may face from a sexual nature in our lives, that God has given us this beautiful gift in the marriage relationship to protect us of it. I heard one commentator say that, uh, in a sense, Paul recognizes that regular sexual relations in marriage are a prophylactic against sexual sin. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 through 5. He says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That means that you should be growing more and more and more like Jesus in your life. He says that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So for those that do know God, those that are in healthy Christian marriages, as a way to protect yourself from that is that you are consistently, there is a healthy, consistent sex life in your marriage. I don't know about you, but maybe you've had those times at the beach where you're playing in the waves, and all of a sudden you start to kind of struggle to get back to the shore. Have you been there before? What's it called? What's the word? Undertow, right? You don't see it. You don't expect it. But all of a sudden you feel that pull. You feel that drag. You're not looking for it, but now that struggle begins to happen. And Paul understands that even for those in the marriage relationship, that undertow of temptation exists and it can pull you into a place that God didn't design you to be and ultimately you don't want to be, but in the moment you feel that undertow and he's saying, listen, don't deprive one another except for a time. In fact, he's going to go in verse six and say, I say this as a concession, not as a command. He's saying, you don't have to do this. You, you, you don't have to take this time off, but if you do, make sure it's for a short time, it is for prayer and that you come together again. In verse 7, he wraps up. Paul says, I wish that all people were as I am. We're going to get more into this next week. But each has his own gift from God. One person has this gift and another has that. Paul's going to point to the reality that he's not in a married relationship. I'll give you kind of a teaser for next week. Some believe that Paul potentially was previously married and he's not married now. We don't know why, maybe death, maybe his wife left him, we don't know. But, but he's now saying, listen, I, I wish that you were like me. But that's a gift. And not everyone has that gift. And because not everyone has that gift and that they will not be celibate and refrain from this area of their life, that God has given this gift and mutuality of commitment, mutuality and submission and mutuality and service to one another. So let me say it again. Healthy Christian marriages. You honor God with healthy, consistent sex lives. Healthy means it looks like mutuality and submission. You're caring for one another's needs. It's consistent. 
You're not depriving one another. So let me give some takeaways today. Number one, if you're here today and you're not in a married relationship, let me implore you to trust God's best for your life in this area. Would you trust God's command that when he calls that the sexual relationships in our life only happen in the confines of a husband-wife relationship, would you trust that God is not giving that command to hurt you, but he is giving that command for your benefit? I believe that if I lined up 100 couples up here that chose to wait until they were married to have sexual relations with one another, I believe if I lined up 100 of them, I believe that 100 of them would say we don't regret it. But I believe that if we lined up 100 people up here that for whatever reason chose not to, to honor what God said, for some, they didn't know. They didn't know that that's what God had said. You would hear stories of regret, shame, hurt, disappointment, some that still carry. And so if you're not married today, would you, would you believe God for his best in this area of your life? And I would say to some of you in here that you failed in this area, would you today, would you rest on the mercy of God? That that moment in your past or those moments in your past, that doesn't define who you are today. Scripture is clear that if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. It means that that past can be your past. It doesn't have to be your now or your future. And so repent of that. Bring it to God. Receive his forgiveness and walk in a new identity of pursuing God's best for your life. So if you're unmarried, trust God for his best. And if you've messed up in this area, receive his grace. Receive his mercy. Know that this God abounds in steadfast love for you. And he wants to forgive that sin as far as the east is from the west. That is no longer your story. That's your past. And so walk in God's promise today. If you are married, I'm going to give you some pastoral homework. Not what you think. <laughs> Have a conversation this week about this area of your marriage. Have a conversation about it. Talk about Mutuality of submission. Talk about consistency. Talk about whatever, whatever conversation needs to happen. Because oftentimes what happens in this area and couples that I've counseled is that we don't talk about it. And because we don't talk about it, we're, we're in an unhealthy place. And so I would say to grab a cup of coffee and sit down and have a conversation about how you're doing. Maybe, maybe you need to seek out a counselor. Maybe this is an area of dysfunction in your marriage and, and, and you recognize that oftentimes the, the level of intimacy in our marriage can be a symptom of, of some other issues that need to be addressed. Our counseling center would love to sit down and to talk with you a couple to help navigate you through these challenges. But, but maybe there's some deeper issues that this conversation will help reveal. The last thing I want us to understand today is this. For all of us, don't miss the beauty of God's design. Don't miss the beauty of God's design here. 
that the world will tell you, go and do and pursue and seek your own pleasure, right? Make your own dreams come true. It's all about you and what you desire, and it's your identity. The more active you are, the cooler you are, right? It will tell you all these things. And I believe in the background, Satan's just applauding of the destruction that is coming. And here's God who says, I created you this way. And and this is how I've designed it for, yes, for my glory and and for your good. You would enjoy it in the beautiful bliss of not just pursuing a physical feeling in sex, but a depth of intimacy and surrender and sacrifice that can only be found when doing it God's way. And the mutuality of Submission, as Paul in Ephesians 5 is going to elevate marriage and give us a beautiful picture of marriage. And he's going to call the husband to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so when Paul says that marriage is a reflection of the gospel, we see it even in the physical relationship of that submission of Christ serving his people. Would you bow your heads with me today? Today in a message like this, my heart hurts because I think of those that in this area of their life, they do have regret and they do have shame. But my heart also hurts for some of you that the beauty of what God has designed was taken from you by someone. And today's been really hard for you because because what you desired is not your reality and it wasn't your choice. And in this moment, if I can, with all the humility and sensitivity in my heart, I hope today that you would hear that moment doesn't define you. And, and maybe today, maybe today God has revealed that there's some, some, some wounds there that haven't been fully taken care of and that there's some emotional processing that needs to happen. And maybe today your action step is, you know what, I need to go talk with a professional counselor. Maybe, maybe start with a pastor, but maybe I need to go sit with someone who can help me process what I've experienced and what I feel. But I hope today is as we've tried to elevate God's design and his desire for humanity, that we would once again be reminded that God knows what's best. And that for those that are here today in a married relationship, that you would desire to have a healthy, Christ-honoring marriage relationship. And you would desire to honor God in it and to do it. One of the ways you do it is by having a healthy, a God-honoring, submitting to one another, sexual relationship in your marriage. My hope is also today that if you're here and you're not, that you would feel the call to trust God for what's best, to honor God in every area of your life. 
to not feel the guilt or pressure of manipulation of a pastor that's trying to convince you to do something you don't want to do, but that you would hear the invitation from God of saying, this is how I've designed it for your good and you would desire to walk in it. And so Father, today we know there's been a lot, maybe not necessarily our typical topic that we would tackle on a Sunday morning, but God, you've given it to us in your word. And Lord, I pray today for those that are here that are not in a married relationship. They're not in that covenant commitment of husband and wife. Today, God, I pray that you would, that you would protect them, that you would be that shield around them, that God, they would see the offerings of this world for what they are, an invitation to regret and hurt and shame and disappointment. And today, God, they would commit to desire to honor you in every area of their lives, including this one, to trust you for what's best. And God, for the married couples that are here, I pray, Lord, that there would be fruitful conversations that would come out of today. Conversations about submission to one another, intimacy, care, surrender, loyalty, so that, God, we can honor you and this gift that you've given your people. Father, thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.